huge yeah, I feel like there's so many myths, right? First off, yeah. almost no one in the startup world, even the people who've made it, have a Lamborghini, right? Uh, there's a few people who say, oh, I have a startup and also a Lamborghini, and almost always that's family money. This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. I have a very, very special guest with me here today. He is the co-founder of Spark Turo and previously the co-founder of Moz and Inbound.org. He is also the author of Lost and Founder, a painfully honest field guide to the startup world, a frequent traveler, speaker, and presenter. He has dedicated his professional life to helping people to do better marketing, including myself. Please welcome the amazing Rand Fishkin. Rand, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I know when we're in some, some crazy times, and I think it's good to, to recognize that we're in this, in this moment, you know, and, it's, uh, and that we're all kind of experiencing, um, you know, a lot of, you know, we all have our own struggles during this whole, you know, crisis that we're in, but it's, uh, it really is a, a blessing to be able to, to have a conversation uh, and be able to connect with, with people like you and like-minded people and to be able to provide value and inspiration to others. So that's why, that's why we're doing this. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. So thank you again. Really appreciate you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So uh, Rand, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of yours and you know, I know who you are and so does my team. And I'm sure you get this a lot, but for those of you who don't know and they aren't aware, they're not so much as in, in the marketing world as, as you and I are, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how, you, how you really got to this position that you're in today? Um, sure, sure. Yeah. You never know whether you mean got to this position like in a, in a good way or got to this position like, oh, yeah, you're in a tough spot, my friend. And I'll let you, how'd you get that. there. <laughs> both, both apply. Yeah. Uh, I, I dropped out of college um, in 2001, so a uh, good, good little while ago, and spent my first uh, 18 years in the professional world at a company that started as a web design consultancy and then became mm -hmm. an, an SEO uh, consultancy and then an SEO software business. Um, it was just my mom and I for the first you know, six years or so, and then... Um, we uh, built some software and launched that in 2007, uh, raised some venture capital, and over the next six years, that company had kind of a crazy growth streak. You know, Moz became a little bit of a household name in the marketing world in particular, and, and especially SEO. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, you know, grew to about, gosh, I think it was around $50 million in revenue, a couple hundred employees, did a number of acquisitions, um, and that, uh, that business is still, still going. I left a couple of years ago, uh, and started a new company called Spark Toro, raised a very unique kind of funding round, non-venture backed, uh, for this business. And we just launched Wednesday. So, so two days ago, you and I are having this conversation about 48 hours after. And I, I, and I got the email. I logged in. I like it. I got, oh, thank I got you. yeah, <clears throat> that's great. Um, so that, that was actually going to be my next question was with Moz, uh, 
you know, most marketers, they, they know, they know about Moz and, and I know you're, you're promoting Spark Tarot and I'm no doubt it's going to be amazing from what I saw. It looks, looks fantastic. Um, was there, was there, was that something like you had planned of, you know, leaving Moz and starting something else or was it, what was kind of, what inspired that? How, did it just kind of come organically, naturally? Nope. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, fair, fair question. Yeah. So no, no, it was, uh, to be honest, Mike, I think I, I had an incredible amount of fear and anxiety about leaving Moz. I, um, I think I, I probably shed actual literal tears more than once over it and yeah, had a tremendous amount of, of stress. I, I, you know, I, I built Moz in this way that I, I hoped would be a, I don't know, um, a certain special kind of company that I wanted, uh, you know, to see a particular vision through. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when you raise institutional capital, that that is not um, in your control anymore. Especially, I, I stepped down voluntarily. Uh, from the CEO role and, you know, asked my board to promote my chief operating officer to, to CEO. Um, and then found, you know, over the years uh, subsequent to that, I think I stepped down in 2014 and, you know, Moz really s struggled uh, the year, starting the year after that. Um, mm -hmm. Did some, some painful layoffs in 2016. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, disagreements between myself and leadership were just mm -hmm. untenable uh, and really, you know, not just professional, but personal and emotional and yeah. uh, not, not great. You know, I think a lot of the times when folks look at a, um, a company's, you know, board of directors and leadership and they see people departing and stuff, it's kind of a, oh, I, I wonder what happened there. Did that person, you know, want to go? And, and the answer, I think, almost universally is complicated and emotional and messy and you know not the sort of clean professional oh this person <laughs> you know wor worked for six months and said i believe it is time for me to go and then yeah they, you know resign like, eh, it doesn't, doesn't really work that way so mm -hmm. i when i wrote the blog post about leaving moz um which is you know almost two years ago uh i i said on a scale between you know zero and ten where uh, 10 is sort of, you know, everybody hugs everyone else and it's just like the best feeling in the world, rainbows and sunshine walking out the door, uh, welcome back anytime, and zero is escorted out by security. Mm -hmm. um, and my departure was like a four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I completely understand, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of different business leaders that have you know that they've had strategic exit strategies and all that right but um that's the reason i asked that question is just because it's uh and I, and I love how honest you are with me that's that's great you know it's uh um i i think rand people need to hear that and and i know you talk about this in your book um how tough it is to be a startup how tough the struggles that they go through how tough it is to um you know just the the grits and the grinds and it's not uh it's not all fairy tale um you know, it, it looks good on social media and on, on Facebook, you see these guys with Lamborghinis and you see all this, all this crap, you know, it, it's crazy, crazy stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think the ones that, that make it are the ones that are honest with themselves. They're transparent. Um, work, work ethic is very important, obviously. It's about working hard, but it's not, 
it's not just about that. That's just one element of it. I think it's, it's, it's very mental. I mean, I, it's a huge yeah, I feel like there's so many myths, right? First off, yeah. almost no one in the startup world, even the people who've made it have a Lamborghini, right? Uh, there's a few people who say, oh, I have a startup and also a Lamborghini and almost always that's family money. Um, yep. That's right. you know, the, the interesting thing, I looked at uh, the research for my, for my book, right? And, and one, of the, one of the things that, that is really tragic, I think, really, really sad to learn is that the United States is at an, a historic low in terms of number of new companies being started. Mm-hmm. And this is before coronavirus, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about you know, last year, 2019. Uh, historic low in t- terms of number of startups, historic uh, low in terms of number of people employed by startups and early stage businesses, right, in their first five years of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, historic low in terms of percentage of the economy that's driven by small businesses uh, in, their, in their first you know, five years of life. So we we've, may feel like it's the golden age of the tech startup, but it is anything, anything but that. Um, yeah. And frankly, the people who start these companies you know, I wish, I wish that what I could say is, you know, it's a bunch of folks who work hard and, and have uh, a dream and pursue it. But in fact, most of the uh, t- startups in the tech world, most of the ones that raise funding uh, are started by people who all, whose families already have money mm-hmm. and, and lots of it. Uh, so weirdly enough, you know, I thought I was like maybe you know, my, my parents, my dad was an engineer at Boeing, right? My mom owned her own small business marketing consultancy. Mm-hmm. My parents did okay. I don't think they ever broke six figures in their life, but mm-hmm. they, they were solidly middle class. And uh, that's, you know, that's, that's actually on the low end of the spectrum for founders. Most founders come from families where there's no real fear of failing. And so, yeah. you know, that, that breaks my heart, right? I want to see... I want to see people who, um, you know, can take a dream and hard work and turn it into something and they don't have to come from privileged backgrounds because, because frankly, right. Talent, obviously talent is equally distributed. Mm -hmm. It's opportunity. That's not, you know, there were more, uh, more companies, uh, sorry, more dollars from venture capital funded founders named John. (laughs) <laughs> and all women, all wow. women, just universally. You know, you, you, you hit the spot, Rand, before in regards to uh, how a lot of these startups, they, they come from money. And, and I'll, I'll tell you firsthand, that is so true because, um, you know, the, the company that I run, I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of Imaginovation. We build custom applications for businesses, startups to, to you know, enterprise level companies. And a lot of startups that we get, that we work with, they do come from family money. Yeah. A lot of them, don't get me wrong. I love my clients. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. We've had, we've had bad clients. We've had good clients, but I'll tell you that, that, you know, most of the ones that come to us as leads and prospects, um, that are fueled from marketing, which we're talking about in in a little bit. Um, but essentially the ones that do come, you know, they're, you know, we ask them, what's your funding situation like? It's good to know what, what the, you know, get an alignment of the budget, right? To make sure it's a good fit. Um, and, and they say, you know, we're, we're being funded for my family or my father or my, you know, my grandparents or, or this, and it's just, you know, it's, it's not, you know, or either that, or they're looking for VC capital. They're looking for angel investors. Um, you know, 
it's just, I think I, I love it when, when businesses bootstrap because they, if you've noticed this working with probably tons of companies is that they, they are, they're very, a lot of people, a lot of business owners are very reliant on trying to get capital instead yeah. of just trying to bootstrap it. And it's hard to bootstrap. It's your boot. You're starting it from nothing with zero funds really, but it's, it's tough. It's tough as hell. But yeah. um, there's also, there, I think there's a very inspirational element to that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the discipline and strength that gives you resiliency in the face of adversity, which right. almost every company and individual is encountering right now because of this, this climate. Um, I think that those are strengths. Those are muscles that you build, right? You work yeah. those out at the gym of bootstrapping at the gym of, you know, uh, constrained resources. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I, I love, I love the idea just philosophically. I love the idea of things like, you know, universal basic income or of, um, you know, much, much greater uh, government services for folks, because I love the idea that you could quit your job, not be stressed about it and have the freedom and flexibility to start something new. You know, I just imagine an economy where uh, millions of people feel like, Hey, I don't have to put up with this. I can go home and sure, I'm not going to make much of an income, but I can start something. I can build something. I'll, I'll have enough to live on. I won't have to worry about healthcare and I can build something myself. And I, you know, I just imagine the extraordinary companies and innovation that could come from that. That's, that's what I want to enable, right? So this is, this is why, you know, Moz, SparkToro, Inbound.org, everything I've ever uh, built is really designed for small businesses, medium businesses, early stage companies, you know, I'm trying to take um, sort of the power that's in the hands of monopolies and enterprises because they, you know, they have plenty of resources to build whatever kind of software they want internally, right? They don't, they don't need as much third-party stuff and, and make that accessible and available mm -hmm. uh, to everyone else. So SparkToro is really exactly that, right? It's like this, hey, let's take market research that was previously only available to companies with millions of dollars. Yeah. And for a couple hundred bucks, you can get the same thing. Because, you know, and we're gonna talk about marketing, you know, uh, uh, your love and passion in, in a second. And so mine too, you know, I love, I'm, I'm marketing through and through, I love it. Um, but it, marketing is really all about targeting. Yeah. You yeah. know, and without that, without, tar I mean, without doing the market research, you can't really target. So you're providing these tools that I think ran with good intentions um, and you're trying to really provide value. You're not doing it for, you know, obviously none of us are really doing it just for money. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of what we talk yeah, about. If you want just the money, go work at Microsoft or Google. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And you can do that. We can do yeah. that. You know, we, we can go get these other jobs, but at those, at those places, you're also just a number. You'd rather leave a positive footprint in this world. Cause you know that one day, you know, um, our candle is going to be, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be blown out. No, no. And you want to, I, I mean, I think this is one of the, you know, one of the most important things for me is just being able to look back at, at you know, a career, which, which is, you know, such a huge part of our lives and, and yeah. say that it really helped people, right? It helped make the kind of world that I want to live in, that I want future generations to live in. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's hugely important. And, and yeah, I mean, I am, I am a massive fan of marketing. I, I agree with you. Targeting is crucial. Uh, and I think the other side of that is storytelling. Right. So 
you know, the, whether it's creative or advertising or, 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 you know, good search ads, good, good listings in SEO, good content marketing, whatever it is, right. That's the story that you're, uh, you're telling. And that has to do a great job of kind of positioning your product, your solution. But if you don't tell that story in the right place to the right people, yeah, right. A ton of that effort is wasted. A thousand this grand, this is why I started this podcast. It's a story. It's a business storytelling podcast that, that, you know, combines, um, you know, business insights as well and expertise and, and, and you, you, you're a, a thousand percent agree with you. I think, I think a lot of people really take that. They don't really, a lot of people don't understand storytelling. They don't value it. I'll tell you this. I've spoken to some very successful people that, um, don't get me wrong in their bank accounts. It's, it's full, it's great. It's, you know, all that, but that they don't see, like when I ask them, oh, do you, does your marketing team or do you guys ever focus on, you know, storytelling aspects as part of your strategy? Do you try to tell your story? Do you try to ha allow it to resonate with others for inspiration, you know, um, and really provide some, some, some strong value? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy, but you know, to kind of, I think that's a good segue. So like, what do you think ran right now? I know that the, you know, this the COVID-19 is going on and hopefully that's going to, that's going to dissipate very soon. Hope, you know, hopefully. Um, but where do you feel digital marketing and even business is headed now? Like, wh where do you think it's going? Um, yeah, my sense is we are encountering a, f a few painful macro trends, which are mm -hmm. uh, going to have a, a similar, probably even larger impact than 2008's financial crisis. Cause I think this tragically, this economic recession, potentially depression, depending on how long recovery takes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this one's going to be more severe. You can already see that right in the jobless numbers of, um, you know, it's possible that a quarter of Americans are out of work, which is just, uh, just heartbreaking, right? Heartbreak. Mind boggling, considering we were at 4% unemployment, you know, mm -hmm. eight weeks ago. Uh, the, but I think as a result, a few things will happen, right? First off, uh, almost every business is looking for cost savings of every kind which uh, in marketing often means, unfortunately, that, that folks cut with a chainsaw instead of a scalpel. Um, and that, that is particularly painful because it often means that the business loses out even more on capturable customers. I think we're gonna see kind of bifurcation on that where you have uh, some folks, I don't know whether it's you know, the savviest 30%, savviest 20% of the market, uh, which is instead cutting with a scalpel, looking at uh, where can we make big cost cuts without losing large amounts of customers and then take those dollars or a significant portion of those dollars mm -hmm. and reinvest them in other channels. In 2008, this is one of the biggest trends Moz benefited from. We, we launched our big link index tool, you know, Linkscape back, back in the day, on the day Lehman Brothers collapsed mm -hmm. in, in October 20, 2008. And, and right, that was like, oh, super <laughs> scary. But we were profitable a month later. We were back to profitable a month later because so many people were essentially looking at their paid search budgets, their paid advertising budgets, their mm -hmm. offline budgets and saying, we want to move to digital. We want to move to something more trackable and we want to move to something free and organic. Let's invest in SEO. I am certain you will see similar things happening uh, in 2020 where businesses are essentially looking for marketing channels that are underinvested in uh, and moving dollars there. Uh, one of the things that happens in a recession climate, especially one that's uh, very rapid, is that everyone, every business leader says, throw out our plans, 
give me the new ideas, right? And so innovation is possible where previously you had a bunch of stagnation. Um, I, I heard from some friends, I have some emails in my inbox this morning that are like, yeah, yeah, the COVID thing's painful, but honestly, it's been good for us. We've been reassessing all of our basics. We've been looking at our fundamentals, trying to figure out new channels, trying to figure out new strategies, mm -hmm. trying to figure out whether our products are right. Gives so you more, more time to think. Right now, it's, it's, we're sitting, we're trying to think of what did we do wrong? What did we do right? What do we, yeah. how do we, yeah. I, I, and people, people are like, when you're in, you know, slow but steady growth mode, you're just kind of like, uh, you know, in the wheel and turning. And uh, I think to break out of that, sometimes it takes a significant drop off. And that's when everybody panics and looks for new things. And that's when new ideas surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think you dived into this a little bit, just this, this, uh, this question is, so for small businesses, what do you think they should be focusing on to grow on a strategic marketing perspective? You think, I mean, I understand there's a lot of tools and resources out there, but is there anything specific? Do you think that, do you think in regards to Google, for example, um, you know, there's, there's pay to play, there's, there's paid marketing, and then there's organic SEO. Um, do you think that maybe this, I'm, I'm calling this whole COVID-19 kind of like a reset on the world a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you think that maybe organic will start playing a, a bigger role than paid marketing after this for small businesses, or you think it might be opposite? Um, I suspect there's going to be a lot of folks who retreat from paid uh, almost entirely. You can see Google, right? Google is shutting down a bunch of their marketing. I think they're talking about cutting half their spend. I just saw they're, that. Yeah, they're freezing new hires, right? So Google themselves are feeling pain, which Google has never felt pain. Mm. Not, not in all the years of their existence, right? They've just been uh, rising like gangbusters. So I, I think what you'll almost definitely see is uh, what we're seeing in, in Facebook ad costs and Google ad costs and uh, Amazon a little less so, which is that ad costs are way, way down. I talked, I've talked to some folks who were paying $3 a conversion in January, mm -hmm. we're paying 12 cents a conversion in April. Uh, and that, you know, they're just gonna keep investing. The, the challenge I think for a lot of small businesses is finding, um, finding a product and a positioning set that meets the market's new, new and changing demands. You know, um, the most obvious one is like the restaurant business where everyone is shifting to, can we do takeout? Can we do boxed orders? Can we do yeah. frozen food deliveries? Can we do, um, you know, special packages? Can we offer people gift cards for when we reopen? More on demand, more virtual, more real time. Yeah, they're trying to come up with creative things. Can we do dinners over web conferencing? Like what, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff, um, very, very, uh, you know, at the very micro level for restaurants, but applied to all businesses in general. You know, if today you are providing uh, software as a service that helps small businesses with their online presence, can you do it in such a way that, um, you know, uh, uh, helps people overcome this gap? Can you do, uh, who was it? I think it was Buffer, who was basically like, hey, we know that a ton of you are uh, cutting your budgets right now, so we're giving everyone three months free, right? We're just saying like, we know everybody is taking a quarter off of, of revenue, here's a quarter back on expenses, um, and just you know, recognizing that and, and being able to serve those folks because they've got the cash position to do it. I think anytime you have a point of leverage, a point of creativity, um, a point of strength, you can use that to help other people. And there's nothing better right now 
than helping folks. The other thing I feel like is a lot of people, Sparktaro included, is gonna use this time to build up an audience, even if it's not a converting revenue generating audience. And then in the future, as things recover, benefit from that audience creation. Hmm. Wow. And, and with, in regards to, uh, you know, SE, uh, sorry, uh, Google and, um, you know, Google SEO and paid marketing, do you think that there's going to be any changes in the algorithms, their updates uh, in regards to on-site optimization? Do you think it's going to be still more off-page optimization? Um, you know, I, I, at least for me, in my experience, I don't want to, you know, quote this out or anything like that, but from my experience, I felt that on-page does play a role, but at least for my company, off-page has really helped us because that comes to content marketing when we're writing for third-party publications, giving back to the community. Um, you know, we've written for Entrepreneur, VentureBee, all these, and our rankings went up because they're high-authority domain sites. Uh, right. So, you know, that, that's what has worked for us alongside of on-page on optimization. But do you think any of that's going to be changing? or? I will say I have certainly seen over the last 10 years a trend toward more, I don't know if on-page is entirely fair, but certainly in the category of things you do on your website having more impact than they did in the past, things you do off your website having a little bit less impact. Uh, that shift has been going on for a long time now, like I said, maybe, maybe 10 years, but Google definitely seems to have gotten much, much more intelligent. And I think that this is down to them switching over to a machine learning um, you know, neural network uh, based system where they're uh, essentially trying to interpret content that authoritatively, comprehensively solves the searcher's problem more so than they are saying, oh, well, this page has the most links with this anchor text. Yeah. Which that was, right, that was SEO from 1998 to like 2010, 2011. Um, and, and 2012 and beyond, they've been, you know, that's not gone but it has been shifting. And one of the best, you know, one of the best SEO tips that I think I could give, especially in my last few years with Moz, right, was uh, do a better job than anyone else on page one of solving the searcher's problem. If, if you can do that, chances are very good that Google will over time reward you. Because it's a lot, yeah, I agree. I think it's because it's a lot, right now it's a lot more about user's intent, the way, why they're, you know, what they're, what they're trying to, you know, like you said, answering their questions, what are they trying to solve, their pain points, uh, you know, uh, and also I, I think as well from, from what I'm understanding is a lot of it's about customer experience, user experience on the website and, uh, and with, through your content, making it easy for them, right? Making it intuitive for them, um, I think is, is also playing a role. Um, but yeah. uh, like I said, I'm not going to quote that out because I'm not, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not the algorithm, so no one really knows. But um, no, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I don't think you have to be, um, you know, you don't have, even have to be an SEO expert to have seen, seen that trend, right? And see that, yeah. gosh, sometimes, sometimes these smaller sites outrank these big ones. Sometimes, you know, the, a lot of the correlation studies in SEO look at like, why does long form content uh, correlate with higher rankings than short form? And oftentimes it's, well, that more comprehensively solves the searcher's problem. Right. A lot of times when I need, you know, around queries that need in-depth answers, a long form piece of content is, is going to solve that. And is the answer, oh, I should just write longer articles. No. Right. <laughs> That's the wrong way to think about correlation and causation. But is the answer, yeah. 
Should I make sure that I deeply understand the searchers, my audience, the people who need an answer to this question and why they need that answer and what they're looking for and all the things they might need to do next? And then should I provide all of that in my one piece that does the best job of that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, and Ren, you know, when it, uh, going back a little bit uh, with uh, you building SparkToro and you just launched it and, and even at your days at Moz, what were some of the, the important vital steps that you took to ensure a steady, scalable growth? Because we know, we talked about this earlier, right? That growing a business is, is really hard, it's tough. It's just not like what it talks about on the internet and Facebook ads and all this stuff that you see. Um, but essentially, you know, what, what did you do? And I, I, for me, I consider you an expert. I, I consider you a thought leader. This is my opinion. I, that's what I feel about you. And um, you've grown amazing companies. So what did you do that was at least on the positives that were pinnacle positive moments that helped you grow and scale those businesses? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think the most successful things that I have done have never been moments. They've always been small contributions over time to a broader flywheel that, that scales with decreasing friction, right? This, this idea that, um, oh, once I found this one hack, you know, it really shot our numbers wow. up. That is not how businesses work uh, in my experience and, and certainly not software as a service where you know, you're looking for long-term high retention customers who get a lot of value out of your product. Um, and so you know, spiking sales one day might be great for your short-term revenue, generally not great for your long-term numbers. Right. Uh, in terms of things that have been hugely successful, the way, you know, the way I reflect back on this is building, um, building things that people connected with on a, on a value level, like this thing gives me value and also on an emotional level. This thing or this person or this company makes me feel good about the things that I'm doing, makes me feel good about the interactions that I'm having. Uh, that has been, I think, the, the biggest thing. So, you know, a, a few examples of that. The Moz blog, right, which was hugely successful for a long time, generated millions of visits um, a month af after a few years of investment. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't start out as anything special. If you go back and read the posts from 2003, 2004, 2005, it's junk. Mm. You know, you're like, oh man, this guy is terrible. He's not a good writer. He doesn't have interesting topics. Like, it, it, it's just junk. But so you were consistent though. Yes. It's consistency is the key. Consistent and consistent improvement, mm -hmm. right? Because you could feel that like month over month, even though it was crap, it was like, ah, but this, this crap is getting slightly better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. smell as bad as it smelled the month before, right? That's, yeah. That I think um, is, is where we, we really built strength. Same thing with Whiteboard Friday, right? The video series. I remember those, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. Same, same thing uh, there. Same thing with the guides that Moz made, right? The very first version of the beginner's guide to SEO. It was, it was good, but it was really good because nothing like it existed, right? You couldn't go on the internet and get a good free guide to how SEO worked. That was like thoughtful and well done. And so the, the, the Moz beginner's guide to SEO, but the, the version that came out in 2009 was 
you know, 10 times better than the one that came out in 05. Mm -hmm. The version that came out in 2012 was 10 times better than the one from 09. The one that came out, whatever, last year, two years ago, 10 times better than that. Uh, I didn't even work on the one, maybe I worked a little bit on the one that came out, whatever, 2018 or 2019. But you get the idea, right? That, yeah. that there's this consistent improvement. And I think that is exactly what I need to uh, do with SparkToro, right? SparkToro, I mean, you know, all, all, all fairness, right? I leveraged a ton of the uh, marketing strengths that I already had from Moz, brought a lot yeah. of that audience with me through my social channels and, mm -hmm. and personal connections and stuff. Um, and that's been really helpful in getting the company off the ground. But um, it is absolutely the case, right, that we need to find those flywheels and keep investing in them uh, in the same way. So I don't know whether that's going to be video or uh, other types of content or tools, but we need it. And I'm sure you're using, you know, we talked about storytelling a little bit. You know, I think um, I, I think that this is this is my opinion, but I think for some reason that when whenever we write about stories on the internet, there's always some sort of positive outcome from it. I don't know if Google knows it or you're, I, I don't know, but it's crazy the power of storytelling, not just like algorithmic and Google, but I think even just the way users are, readers are engaging with it. They're like, man, this Rand, you know, or John or whoever, this guy went through some tough stuff. Wow, like this is, this is cool. I didn't know this about him. I didn't know he went through all this. This is really cool. This this is really uh, I, I'm connected. I'm more connected with this guy right now. I'm more connected with him, and he is the face of that brand. So then you're connected with the brand, and that increases loyalty. And then you see what I'm saying? It's just crazy. Yeah, what, I mean, the, what were your thoughts on storytelling and how it's really helped you and, and businesses? And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, my sense is that people buy because they need a problem solved far less than people buy because they have an emotional connection and they like trust uh are aware of something right and so the the emotions of branding and of storytelling um are highly underrated especially by technical founders right who think that people kind of well for a lot of people who have this problem we need to build a better mousetrap and if we build a better mousetrap uh, and and just show people that we have it. They will come to. They'll flock to us. Yeah. And reality is is not that. I think this is part of why so many startups uh, fail, right? Especially in in tech world and backed by tech founders, um, is that there's not that understanding that emotional resonance drives so much of product adoption and awareness uh, and conversion behavior. And so you know some of the some of the best ways that I have found to do that are to make build a community of people who like and care about you, your story, your brand, the, the problem, um, solving that, that painful problem, whatever it is, uh, and the way that you're doing it, and then use that community to help find more people like them uh, and market to them in similar ways that your existing audience already talks about that problem. I don't think there's anything more powerful in um in in storytelling then then sort of the oh person like me with whom i can identify and empathize experienced similar thing to me and overcame hard problem to have more you know success or happiness or yeah. uh wonderment or whatever it is at the end right and this is uh, 
you know, some of the most successful marketing in the United States is, is political marketing. And it works in exactly this way, mm. right? It basically says, hey, let's find something, some, some form of connection, cultural identity, uh, socioeconomic identity, um, recreational activity identity, right? Think, think of uh, firearms in the US, right? Which is sort of recreational, um, but, but very much a social identity. And then, and then let's build around that and leverage that to get people on our side on a whole bunch of other issues that they might not have otherwise cared about, but now they tie it to their identity. And this, it works the same in, you know, all forms of branding. When you watch sophisticated, savvy ads that show up on the Super Bowl, or you see an ad that resonates on Instagram, uh, that is, that it's not just targeting, it's also, recognition of identity and of uh, emotion and then and then playing to that yeah and empathy and and you know it's uh it's funny that you say that because i i put a post today on linkedin that says um in marketing i put like a, i try to put like a little marketing tip per day now i just started it and i put today i put a quote and i put that um uh, marketing should marketing execution should be uh data driven but your idea should be empathetic yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't really love the phrase "data driven," right? I like data informed. Yeah. But I think that we have to make decisions based on what do I want to call it? Humanity, sort of mm -hmm. shared humanity, uh, understanding of our audience, and then use data to guide the uh, directions of those decisions, right? So, right. yep. It, you are not going to find your amazing innovation generally speaking, by purely looking at your data. So you true. will find that through the interviews you have with customers, through the conversations that you have with people, through putting yourself in their shoes and their mindset, experiencing the same pain they do. That is where you will find product innovation, marketing innovation, content innovation. And, and then data, you can look at your, you know, your funnel and your, and your traffic and uh, third party sources and all that kind of thing to look at, hey, how can we improve this uh, structure that we've built, right, that we've already built? I think that fine tuning is great with data, but being data driven um, can actually make, make you very narrow minded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I think that's why empathy uh, is very important. And just, uh, you know, being a person showing that you're human, that, that you know, that we all have, are going through the same, jo you know, struggles and, and joy and, and pain. And I think that that does, I, I think that plays a huge role in, in marketing and where it's, it's headed because we all, we're all human beings. We're all going through a lot of the same things and we're using products the same way and we're using products differently. And we're, you know, it's, so I think, um, I think having that human element is, is uh, definitely very important. So um, so, uh, Rana, just a few more questions, uh, you know, before we finish here is uh, I was asked the three hows. Um, so how do you define failure is the first question in the, in the shortest, uh, sentence. <laughs> how do you define um, failure? Yeah, I think, uh, failure is not living up to your own expectations rather than not living up to someone else's. Love it. And second question is, how do you define your story in one sentence or in one word? Painfully honest. Painfully honest. <laughs> that's your, oh, that's your, 
Is that that's my answer? Oh, okay, that's, I thought you meant. You said right. you said you said one sentence or one word. I guess I okay, went okay, with okay. one phrase. Cool, cool. I thought you meant you're gonna paint. You're gonna give me an answer that's painfully honest, and I said no, painfully no, no. Honest. Painfully honest is Got my it. answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, perfect. Um, I'm gonna quote that out. I, lo I love it, man. So last one is how do you define success? Ooh. Um, for me, success is uh, building something that inspires others to create a better, fairer, more equitable world. Oh, nice. I, I haven't got the answer before. I, I always ask these questions because everyone has these different answers and I love, I love hearing them. But, uh, you know, this, uh, yeah, that was, that, that's pretty much it. You know, uh, Rand, I really appreciate it. This has been, this has been wonderful. I've learned a lot. I think, I think everyone else is going to learn so much from, from you. Uh, I think you're a very inspirational thought leader. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm, you're probably sick of people saying, oh, you're a marketing guru. Uh, I'm not going to say guru, so don't worry. So I'm just going to say, thank you. I, thank think, you. I think you're, you're a very professional marketer who's done a, a, a you know, wonderful job in the business world. So, oh, well, um, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah. It, it was a pleasure joining you really, man. I hope, I hope we get to meet up sometime in person. Absolutely. I hope we have... get to be at these conferences when things settle yeah. down a little bit, but, yeah. um, and one more thing. So where can everyone find you? I know uh, I think the website is www.sparktoro.com. Sparktoro.com. You got it. Yep. Uh, and uh, you'll find the, the blog there, which is where I do a lot of my writing. And I'm most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish. Okay. Awesome, Matt. Well, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And it was a pleasure. Uh, and, and I'm very humbled for, for you to spend the time to, to chat with me. And um, I can't wait for people to see this. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here, but uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all the support, and I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously, and we look forward to seeing you soon.